You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Welcome to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos with Dave and DB. Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. I am one of your hosts, D.B. Spitzer. To my virtual right, as always, David Heath. How the heck are you doing this week? As always, I am doing well. Yes, good to hear. Good to hear. And I should say, Farmer Dave, as you are the resident farmer, uh, how's how's everything out on the goat farm this week? Cold. Yeah, yeah. Cold. We were supposed to get a lot more snow than uh, what they said, I guess. But that's okay. I'm not. I'm not complaining about the lack of snow. I'm sure the goats aren't either. <laughs> yeah, goats. Goats call snow the curse of pan. Gotcha. They do not like snow. They do not like the clay that crunches on their hooves or makes their fur feel. They do not like snow at all, and they know that it's all the farmer's fault. Yep. 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 All right. So, speaking of faults, um, I don't have a good segue, and that's my fault. Uh, <laughs> I week... like to blame it on San Andreas. Okay. I like to say it's San Andreas's fault. All right. So... Our friends in California are laughing. Oh, yes, yes. And then anyone else is like, what do you mean, GTA 5? Um Hi, I'm Rob Poynton from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest. That includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash InsmouthBC. We hope to see you soon, because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. So let's, uh, let's, let's, let's talk about uh, Richard Upton Pickman for a moment. All right. What do we, what do we got besides the fact that Richard Upton Pickman, R.U. Pickman, uh, was first featured in a short story by H.P. Lovecraft, written in September 1926, first published October 1927 in Weird Tales, and appeared in a 1972 episode of the anthology series Night Gallery. That's that's your basic kind of like... And a more recent version. Oh, yeah, yeah. He also appears in uh, 
uh, Del Toro's uh, Cabinets of Curiosities. Gotcha. I still haven't watched that one yet. Yeah. So I've got a question for you. Go for it. Nobody has ever said this, but this is me. Who do you think Richard Upton Pickman is based on? Oh, goodness. I have no idea. Uh, okay, I'm going to throw this out. And and we're, we're immediately, SP Josh is going to call us, and Ken's going to call us, and Scott Glancy's going to call us and say that I am terrible disinformation. <laughs> I think he's based on Robert W. Chambers. Okay. All right. So, Chain, so and, and here's why. First of all, Chambers was an artist. Yeah. As well as a writer, he he was an artist. He was known for his eccentric sort of uh, art style. He was he had learned to, to paint in France, spent some time mm -hmm. in France. But at this time, also, Lovecraft is working is just finishing up. Um, um, supernatural horror. Yeah, his book on writing horror and on other horror books. So he's done a deep dive into some of Chambers' stories, The King in Yellow, uh, some of his other stories. So personally, and again, somebody is, I'm sure is going to come in and tell us why I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. I think Chambers was on his mind. All right. And during this time, Pickman appears in two stories. Yeah. He appears in two different forms, physical forms. Uh, he appears in... Uh, Pickman's model, of course, but the uh, Dream Quest of the Unknown Cadet, uh, mm, okay. he has completely metamorphosized into a ghoul, uh -huh. and he's now living in the dreamlands. This is actually written about the same time, within months. Okay. Uh, and that's one of the rare occasions that, and even though they're kind of different characters, and I've always got the impression that Pickman's model was sort of almost a spinoff. It's kind of what we now call a prequel. Yeah, yeah. About, you know, where this this character came from. Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, Lovecraft, like I said, even, um, I don't even think Professor Artemis, uh, I mean, he appears as mentioned, but he only appears in one story. Yeah. Uh Randolph Carter is a little bit different, but it's kind of unique that Pickman appears in two different stories. And yeah. they were both written close enough together that mm -hmm. I think Lovecraft's in his mind is kind of tie them together. Yeah, yeah. I when 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 we, we talk about artists for Pickman's model, like Lovecraft actually name checks quite, quite a, few. a few artists. He uh name checks Goya. Uh, he uh, name checks uh, Sidney Syme, who was a artist for or uh, Weird Fiction, and also uh, his friend and pen pal uh, Clark Ashton Smith is name checked, yeah. um, uh, along with other artists. But uh, there's 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 quite a few that he compares Pickman's grotesque artwork to. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, no, and 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 I'm, I'm trying to think of like how he's even described in 
physicality or if he is described in physicality. Um, I don't really think he is. Yeah. I, I don't think he is. And, and, and I'm going completely off my memory. I think he, he we just get the, the narrator's version of him. Yeah. The narrator is talking about him. Mm-hmm. There are different, definitely different artists who have gone yes. and drawn pictures of him, both in his human and ghoul form. Certainly. Yeah, but I don't think we've actually gotten a, a description of what Pikmin may have looked like. I, I, I may be wrong. I may be wrong. It's, I, but I didn't do the have... in-depth reading that I should have, but... <laughs> but we do have... Yes. A drawing by Lovecraft of a ghoul. Oh yeah. So I had not seen this. I mean, Lovecraft was a better sketcher artist than I was. Mm-hmm. Than I. All right. Am. Yeah. But you know, he's no, he's no pigman. Sure. And, and his most famous picture is, of course, going to be the one that looks like Cthulhu taking a dump. Yes. But he also did a picture that you can find online of the ghoul and um which i believe is actually supposed to be pikmin or the model of pikmin uh-huh. where it's definitely got it, it it stands on two legs yeah and, and if you google and picture search of you know lovecraft's version of a ghoul uh it's probably i think a pencil or pen drawing um, and it's kind of hunched back. Its arms are drooping, but it is standing t- on two feet with a bent in the knee and that dog-like face, yeah. uh, which is given a very detailed description in uh, Pikmin's model. The paintings yeah. are. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'm looking at the image right now, and I'm like reading the detail on the on the stone. Uh, uh, yeah, no, it's 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 cool. It's really cool. One of the tombstones really makes me think of the uh, intro to Mystery on PBS. <laughs> yes, yes. Now, now one thing that I was also sort of thinking. Yeah. So Pikmin is a New England, Salem, Massachusetts family name. Sure, yeah. And, and Lovecraft does this quite a bit. He uses names that mm-hmm. of established New England families. Yeah. But he also kind of does a pun. And the most famous, I think, of course, is Gilman. Mm-hmm. Ha-ha, they tend to be deep ones. But Pikmin, Pikmin has to choose between being a human and a ghoul. Yeah. So, again, nobody I've ever read, and, and we're going to get such hate mail from scholars. Sure. But, but you know, I, I think that Lovecraft had a sense of humor. Lovecraft yeah. didn't always have an appropriate sense of humor. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I think maybe consciously or subconsciously, Pikmin was chosen as this sort of, he's got to pick if he's going to be human or not. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, did we cover everything where Pikmin can be found? Well, by Lovecraft. Okay. Now, 
I know he is going to appear in a couple of Chaosium stories, or not sure. stories, but modules. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's kind of, he, it's a name dropper. I, I yeah. mean, and so it's sort of, and he's not the bad guy in the unknown dream, I mean, the dream of the unknown cat. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's kind of neutral-ish, but he, if he helps um, Carter and vice versa. Well, they're so cousins. He does, <laughs> yeah. So he does appear as, uh, I think, the guide in several Chaosium uh, mm-hmm. uh, books. All right, all right. I wanted to say uh, one of my favorite things to say and point out are um, Richard Upton Pickman is found in Fallout 4 as a person who uh, makes grotesque paintings and also uh, kills raiders and makes paintings out of their blood. Um, (laughs) As one does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can either rescue him and, you know, help him out, or you can, you know, kill him yourself. But, yeah, you, you get you get some stuff. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, Pickman's known paintings were Ghoul Feeding, The Lesson, uh, Ghoul's teaching apparently human child how to feed like themselves, uh, a cross section of Beacon Hill with ghouls living in galleries. Uh, subway accident. Uh, ghouls attacking a crowd in a uh, Bolston Street subway uh, by coming through a crack. And Holmes Lowell and Longfellow lie buried in Mount Auburn. Ghouls in a vault reading and laughing at a Boston guidebook. Which I bet Lovecraft just thought was hilarious. Oh yeah, no, no, I'm I'm sure he thought all of these. Yeah, no, this is one of his like kind of like he's laughing to himself while 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 he's uh, writing it out in longhand. Yes. <laughs> he's like, oh, I know some Pikmins that would be mad about this. Ooh, Uptons as well. I'll get them. Those snooty snoots. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that was his plan all along. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but now Pickman's uh, model, Richard Upton Pickman. Um, yeah, the one that I remember is, I believe, in the uh, Dream Quest or the Dreamlands uh, guidebook. There's Pickman's Apprentice, which uh, is an interesting one. I don't want to go into it too much because. I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't played it yet. But yeah, that's 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 a good one. That's a nice appearance by Pikmin. Um Yeah, yeah, no, no. And and as far as antagonists go and protagonists go and I don't know. Uh Pikmin's not bad. Pikmin's not a bad you know, it's like, oh, you wanna see something crazy, I'll show you something crazy. That is what Pikmin is good for. Oh, you want to get out of this veil of Panaf? I'll show you how to get out of this veil of Panaf. <laughs> he, he, as a character, I would say he is more of a guide. Yes. Yeah. 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 Definitely more of a guide, not a main character, and and not necessarily a bad guy. I mean, 
I mean, they're not eating living people. <laughs> no. No, no, no. But, I mean, yeah, no. Actually, no. Kind of a bad guy. If you look at his, like, paintings, you're like, oh, yeah, that's not necessarily the greatest person there. But... <laughs> And purposely trying to make people upset with your paintings. I don't know. But hey, uh, artists do what artists do. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's 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 uh, Mr. Pickman. Yeah, all right. Well, we should Pickman up this conversation and take it elsewhere. All right, so... Deep space? Yeah, yeah, let's take this conversation into deep space. So we're going to take a break, and then we're going to be back, and yeah. <laughs> spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Here are your hosts, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher. Or visit MonsterKidRadio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the Head of Rondo Hatton. Only on Monster Kid Radio. I want to tell you all about something. I want to tell you about a guy I know. This is Dave's Corner of the Podcast. It is awesome and it's gonna go fast. It's not the interview pod. <laughs> it's not the pod where DB talks forever, ever, ever. No, it's Dave's Corner Okay, so this is the part of the show where I talk to somebody whose name is not DB. And today we are speaking with uh, Scott Glancy. Now, Scott, you've been on the show, and I can't believe that most people listening here don't know who you are, but why don't you introduce yourself? Well, it's, it's really easy not to know, uh, know who I am, because um, uh, while my uh, work is relatively deep. It's also fairly narrow. I'm one of the authors uh, of the original Delta Green role-playing uh, game. Uh, once upon a time, it was the Delta Green uh, supplement for the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game, but we have since revamped it as its own standalone game, and um, I've been with that project since uh, 1996. Um, 
And, you know, I've written a little bit for some other games. Uh, I got a few tiny things uh, published in... Uh, I got some folks in Dragon once. I got something, uh, mm. you know, published in some, uh, you know, other fanzines like, you know, the Unspeakable Oath, which was the flagship of Pagan Publishing when they, yeah, that's how they noticed me for getting to work on uh, Delta Green. Um, you know, uh, a couple other game systems like Twilight 2000 and uh, for um, Hollow Earth Expedition, but I haven't written very broadly. Um, I have mostly stuck very close to, uh, you know, sort of Lovecraftiana. Uh, yeah. Yog Sothothery, as uh, the gentleman from Providence put it, uh, the Cthulhu mythos, cosmic horror, um, and that sort of rigmarole. So I have no, I have no, if, 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 if uh, cosmic horror and uh, perhaps uh, the apocalypse and uh, and or pulp uh, are not your thing, I can understand why you would not have heard of me. But then again, you're probably not listening to this podcast. Well, there's that too. If you're listening to the podcast, if this is me podcasts in and you haven't heard of me, then there's something wrong. I am essentially the great value Ken Hyde. When you can't get Ken Hyde, um, uh, you should uh, always try uh, me. I come at like half the price, and uh, I will I will talk uh, twice as long. And worth every cent that we're paying you, or not? Absolutely. Paying. <laughs> I was about to so, say, yeah, I'm worth so every penny. Question for you. All right. And so to set this up, next week is a Comic Con at uh, Portland uh, Fan mm-hmm. Expo PDX, and I am going to be on a panel by our other good friends from Monster Kid Radio. Ah, I love those guys. And it's great. It's going to be classic horror movies for a new audience. So hmm. I pick three movies and I'll, and I'll, and I'll go over the first two real quickly that I think would be good movies for introducing a, a new a new people who haven't watched classic movies. One okay. one is because I think it really is a masterpiece. The birds. Okay. And that's right. because I think it's legitimate that so bad is good is a legitimate reason to watch a movie. Plan nine from outer space. Oof. But it's not yeah. but it's not horror, is it? Well I mean it's until they kick me off the panel it is. Yeah, yeah. I, I you know, my only gripe about Plan Nine is that it's uh it's uh neither science fiction nor horror. It's it's you know, it's it's like the it's the greatest, uh, you know, MSTK uh, sketch ever written before there was MSTK, you know. Yeah. But no. um, but I, I would, I'm a little surprised you picked the birds, uh, only because when you said classic car, you didn't go that far back and you stuck with color. Um, and, and, and I'll talk the others, but I, I and and hopefully we're gonna actually record this on the show. Yeah. So you're able to hear a mystery. Uh, I mean, and. Uh, Monster Kid Radio, why I chose the bird. But mm-hmm. number three is I wanted a movie that they don't make movies like this anymore. And I thought of you, and I chose Horror Express. Oh, well, thank you. I am deeply, deeply honored because uh, Horror Express is an amazing uh, classic horror and yet also a cosmic horror uh, movie. It starts off with the tropes of classic horror, and if you mean by classic, you mean universal monster movie combined with Hammer Studios, right? 
But it's not a universal horror movie, and it's not Hammer Studios, despite having all of the trappings of that. Uh, and instead, you end up with a horror movie that if you actually, it's, sometimes it could be it's ridiculous, but if you actually you know, put your brain to the concept of what the problem is, the problem is quite disturbing. Yep. As, a, as the opposition, you know, I, um, there's a moment in the movie where a, a fossil, a uh, mummified peaking man-style anthropoid begins to come to life and stalk the train, murdering passengers. And uh, I remember turning to my friend Blair Reynolds, the artist who used to do so much work for Bacon Publishing before he uh, sadly passed away. Uh, and I looked at it and I said, you know, Blair, <clears throat> you're going to look back on this section of the movie as the salad days of this movie, yeah. as, the, as the carefree halcyon days of the film, when there was nothing to worry about and everything was going swimmingly, when all we had to worry about was a mummified corpse of an Australian physicist carrying out grievous murders. And he looked at me like he was confused. And at some point, at some point, when that train is filled with reanimated, zombified Cossacks, and it is hurling towards a cliff, having been directed by the Russian government to crash the train rather than let the problem reach a populated area and get even worse, and the passengers are all being murdered by, you know, blind, blind zombie Cossacks, uh, Blair turned to me and says, you know what, you're right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you were, you're absolutely right. I've been in play, I've been in role-playing, I've been in Call of Cthulhu games like this. Yeah. And that's the best thing about Horrors Express. It feels like a, it feels like a Call of Cthulhu game come to life. It really does. Right down to an ensemble cast of, you know, interesting NPCs and player characters. It's, it's quite good. Thank you for including that one. But um, again, I, when you said classic horror movies, I, I kind of, uh, I think it's unfair that I now that I discounted the birds because I would have considered anything from the Hammer catalog you suggested to be a classic monster movie. I, w I first I was thinking just Universal, like, or, yeah. or at least the black and white movies, King Kong, uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon, even though yeah. Creature is quite late. That's like the fifties. Um, I would have been selecting something from that time period uh, as classic monster movies rather than um, uh, and, and I would have, but I know the rest of the people in the panel are going to cover those very well. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. That's a good point. Um, uh, and yes, thank you very much for Horror Express. It is, it is one of my all-time favorites. Um, I got to introduce Preaching them. the good word. Yeah, let's keep keep spreading the good news about Horror Express. You can see all kinds of grainy, you know, versions of it for free on YouTube and various places. But um, have you heard is... of our Lord and Savior Kelly Savalas? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he does have one of my favorite lines in the whole movie, where the horrible body shifting uh, creature from time immemorial has been going around the train being being its evil self and the the Russian priest orthodox priest immediately changes horses the, he's been a Russian priest his whole life the first time he sees something supernatural 
even though it's alien, but you know, he sees something supernatural, he immediately changes sides, right? Because he's seen no proof of God his whole life, but he sees evil and he's like, oh, Satan, oh, let's be sure of you, Satan. And the alien is like, yeah, screw you, dude. You, I, you're useless to me. You have no knowledge. You have no skills. Go away. You're just a shaman. And at some point, though, as the Cossacks, as Telly Savalas and his men just start blazing away with all their guns to gun down the body that the alien intelligence is in, the priest runs up and, like, grabs him and pulls him away, and they're still shooting at him. And I think Christopher Lee says something like, careful, you might hit the priest. And Telly Savalas says, ah, we got lots of priests. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that may be the most Russian thing I have ever heard in, in my life, where he's just... Ah, we got lots of priests. <laughs> so we'll let you know, but that, that I believe they're going to record that panel, and it'll be on a, a Monster Kid radio I look, show. I look forward to hearing that. Derek does wonderful work. Derek Absolutely. Cooper, Absolutely. I'm pronouncing it right, and um, he, does, he, does, he does invaluable work. He's doing the Lord's work. Let's be yeah. honest. He really is. So... Okay, so that was my tangent, and thank you for, for getting on a tangent with me. I've got a, a more of a question we kind of maybe laid out, talked a little bit about. Mm -hmm. And that's when a story is set is, you know, almost as important as where it's set, mm -hmm. um, or at least to me. Um, what, what are some of your thoughts about setting as a time period as a setting? Well, certainly... Um... You know, I'll throw back to the uh, the movie Horror Express. The fact that it is set in this time period um, of like 1909, it's before the First World War, right? So you've got all these. It's it's czarist uh, Russia, which is still an authoritarian state, and you're traveling from Harbin, China, all the way to like St. Petersburg, so that Christopher Lee can move his fossil back to uh, the British Museum. There's all kinds of great things about that time period. Um, you know, the train is relatively isolated. Nobody has a cell phone, um, despite yeah. the fact this is one of the most important arteries in the entire Russian Empire, right? Um, this is how they keep touch with their Far Eastern possessions. And they've already had the Jap Russo-Japanese War. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, you, the, the story starts off in China, in Harbin, and you're like, oh, why are all these Russians, you know, in the train station? Well, they don't even bother telling you things like that the Russian colonial uh, grip on China was pretty strong, and they got to yeah. run the rail lines in China, you know, no matter who the warlord of the province was, you know. And this is actually just before the Chinese Revolution, so things aren't all warlorded lorded up. That's not going to happen until 1911. So the, the, this little time period is really important, also as far as scientific understanding, because this is just at the dawn of the age of experimenting with rockets as a way mm. to gain high altitude. And um, metallurgy is starting to come into its own in a way that uh, is important also to the to the story and uh anthropology is yeah. uh, i mean there this whole thing about peaking man and christopher lee thinks he's tracking down the you know sort of multiple genesis points for mankind you know back when we thought there might be intelligent hominids grew up and we have sort of learned that intelligent hominids may have grown up independently, but just not in the way we thought, you know what I mean? Um, 
around different parts of the earth. This is all before Old Lang Gorge, you know? So yeah. the scientific setting is kind of interesting. Plus, you get certain gaslight bullshit going on with, like, the eye can record the last image it sees, which becomes an important plot point. And, and, Part of that moment, the eye can record the last image it sees, is 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 hilarious because maybe somebody back in 1909 would believe that. Believe it, yeah. You know, despite the fact that the movie's made in 1961, <laughs> we don't believe it anymore. There's a thing where they do the experiment, maybe because it's an alien, it works with the alien. I don't know, but uh, there's all these things about that setting, though the when of it, the the uh, not just the where. But the one of it make it, you know, more compelling, at least to me, who's a big old giant history buff. Um, I like wins because it can limit my – it changes my story vastly. Um, yeah. uh, not just technology-wise, but let's say society-wise. Um, I've always believed that, that – uh, or we've been told a lot that isolation is the – cornerstone of horror right yeah. oh no we're up at camp crystal lake and there's nobody around you know we don't have cell phones because it's the 80s and jason Voorhees' mother the only truly scary Voorhees, i would like to say i'm just gonna put that out there i'll fight you in the parking lot yeah mrs Voorhees is after us you know and is murdering kevin bacon and well you're all isolated off at camp crystal lake you're isolated at outpost 31 yeah. you know you're isolated in that weird little house and night of the living dead or the shopping mall and dawn of the dead or whatever um isolation is a big key to horror and uh one of the ways that uh, isolation is 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 uh you know created is by of course taking away your technology but also if you change society in certain ways by going back in time you become you can become isolated despite the fact that there's people around you yeah. um if you had characters in a story who were i don't know um from a minority. Let's say they're women. Your women characters come out and said, oh my God, I saw, you know, a monster with the things and stuff. And you're going to have guys go, oh, <laughs> silly woman, you know, who's going to believe you? Clearly you're suffering from hysteria and need a womb adjustment. You know, it, it'll be, you, you'll get this thing where because of the social setting, the characters will be isolated, right? If they were hobos in a hobo jungle during the Depression or a Hooverville shantytown, the authorities would not treat them with respect or take what they have to say seriously if there was a supernatural problem. They'd be called sternobums. Um, if they were from the Latino or African-American community or the Chinese community, you know, someplace, they would be dismissed or been called superstitious. I point out with some horror that I have a copy of the World Book Encyclopedia, from 1936, sitting on a shelf behind me, which I sometimes use to research what people thought in another time period. Right? If this yeah. is their this is their Wikipedia, what were their? Did, how did it change? Or how did it shape social or you know common common sense or commonly held ideas about the world? And when I looked up the entry for ghosts one time, we were playing Call of Cthulhu, and we had a ghost problem. I said, well, let's see what the encyclopedia says about ghosts. Uh, the last line in the uh, encyclopedia under the heading of ghost is, it says, last sentence, the superstitious nature of the Negro has been well documented. Mm. And I'm just like, wow. Okay, 
wow, uh, let's talk about institutional racism here for a second, you know? Were there I thought you were going to say ghosts uh, ghost were real. No, no, I said something far worse. <laughs> mostly that mostly that white people are terrible when they're allowed to edit books. Um, yeah. But uh, re regardless, you know, that attitude right there tells me, you know, your African-American character comes to a, uh, you know, someone to report a problem, they're going to be dismissed as a superstitious uh, know-nothing, right? And so um, going to different time periods can create situations where Socially, you're isolated. Where the authorities will not believe you. They're, you know, it's it's kind of like that thing in, I'm gonna go back to Horror Express. Oh no, we've got a terrible problem. Um, maybe the authorities will show up and help. Well, Telly Savalas is the authorities, and he yep. shows up, and it does not help. Yep. Right? It, the authorities arrive to sort this problem out, and all they do is smash people in the head with things, looking for a confession, just at random. Which again is the most Russian thing I can think of, but. You know, um, that kind of that kind of isolation has a lot to do with the when socially, not just the when uh, technologically. So, um, I feel like you know we have you know the, we have the whole of human history, forward and backward, including you know uh, speculative history, to play with. Um, there's all uh, depending on the kind of horror you want to create. It's uh, you know some horrors are going to be better if they uh, turn up in certain time periods. So, yeah. you know, or more, more piquant, as it were. So, yeah, that, that I think it's extremely important. Dave and D.B. go to the movies. Dave and D.B. go. Movies. Dave and D.B. go to the movies. Dave and D.B. go. Hey, Dave. Yes. How's it going? Fine, I have just woken up two parsecs away from Zeta Reticuli. <laughs> Not quite it home to Antarctica Station. I know, I know. I this wasn't in the contract. Okay. <laughs> We're talking right. about what's that? Right. Right. We're talking about 1979's uh, Ridley, Ridley Scott film yeah. Alien, written by Dan O'Bannon, screenplay, or yeah, screenplay by uh, Dan O'Bannon, uh, Ronald uh, Shusett, and featuring Tom Skerritt, John Hurt, and of course Sigourney Weaver. Um, yeah, uh, wh wh what's what's this movie about, Dave? Well, so it is about space trekkers being attacked by a eldritch thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's so I'm going to say something. When this movie first came out, mm -hmm. it was pretty much considered the scariest thing that had come out for decades. Yeah. And it's not as much now. And the reason why is we know what happens. Yeah. You know, even if you haven't seen the movie, and spoilers, the girl and the cat survive. Yes. And um, the thing is, so I, my content has always been, and I think a lot of people agree with me on this, that this is more a horror movie set in space than yes. a science fiction movie. Yeah, it's, it's Halloween in space. It's Halloween mm -hmm. in space. Uh, and, it's, oh, yeah. 
Go for it. And so one of the things I did to kind of get me back to sort of think about it is I look uh, on uh, YouTube at the original trailer. Oh, yeah. For, for the movie. And it's definitely being marketed as a horror movie. It definitely yes, there's is. science fiction aspects. But I also found something else that I thought was pretty interesting. What's that? I found the original Siskel and Ebert at the movie's review from 1979. Oh. And, and I told you last week that there were two things that my family watched, The Muppet Show and Elvira together. Well, uh -huh. there were three. We did watch, as a group, we would sit down and watch at the movies. Yeah. And... So it's sort of interesting because they're deliberately not trying to spoil some things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and you're watching the movie, you know, and what, it's 46 years or 44 years later? Yeah. We know what they're talking about. Sure. They're, they're trying not to spoil it for the audience. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and, and Cisco thinks, absolutely, he's got to warn this audience. This isn't Star Wars. This isn't for your kids. It's yeah. It's a movie. And mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. bloody, and it's scary, and, and and Ebert said, "Yeah, absolutely, it's this, you know, a scary movie." Oh, sure. Ebert loved one part of this movie. Uh huh. And and that's when they find the alien spaceship. Yeah. When they go down, and and they had that part where they were watching it, and he said, you know, and he later on he would even write, you know. He wasn't necessarily a fan of the movie, mm -hmm. but that one part, he doesn't think the rest of the movie keeps up with it. But that okay. one part of the movie, it transcends science fiction. It uh -huh. transcends horror, where it is this literal masterpiece. And our modern audience, I think we almost skip over it. Mm -hmm. Mr. Weaver's not in it. <laughs> yeah. But no, no, uh, uh, that scene, I remember, like, for years, like, like that scene being parts of it replicated uh, for TV shows, commercials, movies, uh, just, just, like, people trying to recreate the feeling of that scene, of people walking into a place that hasn't been touched in unknown time, or people walking into a space station or into a— it's 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 the concept of like entering the unknown, but it it's not a spooky basement, it's not an old warehouse, it's not an old castle, it's 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 not an old haunted house way back off the road. It's 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 the spaceship. It's 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 like Star Wars was two years prior, um, and you know it it was a used rusty. Uh, science fiction, but this is like, you can smell the grease in this kind of science fiction. I mean, it's like, I, you know, I, I bet, I bet that spaceship smells like diesel fuel and grease. Kind of like, oh man, uh, hearing people talk about like how that's not part of how much and they want to get paid more if they're going to be doing this, and you know, people like arguing about pay and stuff like that. It's, 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 it's like very, very easy to understand. And then on top of it, you have this like mythicness that's like being 
like subtly added to like all these fine details of of like panels and screens and like how 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 things are set up for keyboards and stuff like that all these hidden details of symbols and symbology and and mysticism are hidden in the background of this movie so it just it's it it, it, it it's it's like it's horror but it's science fiction and there's weird mysticism and it's like yeah. sounds like weird fiction to me man <laughs> absolutely and and the truth is i am closer to captain dallas than i'll yeah. ever be captain kirk <laughs> very true very true and, and and it's not just because of the beard mm -hmm. and, and you're absolutely right there's these hidden things where it's subconsciously unlocking sort of a dimension but there's also brilliant things uh the thing that i remember the most mm -hmm. is that stupid bird toy yeah Huh. Every, you know, it's iconic now because, yes, you're going to put things like that on your workplace. Yeah, yeah. And, and if you look real carefully, there's a picture of Jones, the cat, on one of the computers as a kitten. Oh, okay. So, absolutely. Speaking of Jones, mm -hmm. I have three Jones stories. Okay. So, you know how the cat looks so scared? Yeah. You know how they got that scene? How? They brought a Doberman on stage. Oh, geez. Yeah. I mean, it couldn't get there. I mean, it was locked up, but that's what... Also, yeah, yeah. There were four orange cats that played Jones, right? Yeah. And Sigourney Weaver started having this terrible relet or uh, uh, allergic reaction. Okay. And, and it turned out that they, they thought it was the cat. But yeah. they, it turned out it was like the gel that they put on to make it you know, look like she's sweating. Uh -huh. and so they had to have this debate because it would have been easier to replace her than it would have been the orange cat. Yeah, who was going to yeah. go? Who were they going to kick out? Yeah, yeah, and she she was nobody at the time. So yeah, yeah. and those cats—that's a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. No, Alien. Um, what what else can we talk about this movie? Like how it. How it falls into cosmic horror. I mean, it's 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 a uh, science fiction, it's it's horror, but would it really be considered cosmic horror? Um, so, so there's this guy. There's this guy. He's not as famous, popular, as cool as you and I. Sure, sure. Uh, his name's Stephen King. Okay. And, and I try to throw his name out as much as I can because yeah. he's got a kid, and I I want him to get work. Yeah, yeah. But he, so he's got this little book called Dance Macabre. Sure, sure. And in Dance Macabre, he, he explains that this is Lovecraftian for the new generation. That, okay. the, that the elder tours and the outer gods are no longer coming to Earth. We are going to them. Yeah. yeah. And he said, and his argument of horror is he says, at the end, the heroine kills the monster with a spear gun in her underwear. How more horror can you get than that? True, very true. And I feel like we're 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 using a lot of different uh, endings from different movies, kind of at this point in time. Like if you think of movies that have been big summer blockbusters, or uh, any of them use a spear gun in them? <laughs> any of them? Any of them uh, have have a woman? Uh, escaping in in like just barely her underwear i i think we've yeah. talked about 
you know, uh, oh no, no, we haven't talked about that yet. Uh, you know, we've, 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 uh, we have some films coming up that definitely describe that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that Stephen King, King kid, you know, I, I buy some of his books cause I'm afraid he's just going to starve to death if we don't. Oh yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, no, it's, it's, it's like, uh, it's, it's like Dan O'Bannon thought to himself, Hey, what if Jaws could run around? <laughs> exactly, and 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 very much. I don't know if he consciously thought of Jaws. Mm-hmm. I can see a lot of the the fear and stuff, and but the alien is diff is the alien is closer. The xenomorph is closer to Jaws. Yeah. Than it is of say, Michael Myers or or the aliens, the Martians from the fifties or oh yeah yeah because it does this very Lovecrafty. It doesn't care. It's just, humans are breeding sources and food sources. <laughs> There's no hate. It's just it's in its DNA, just like it is in the shark. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe you could say that Michael Myers and the shark are very similar uh, with the and, 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 you know, Jaws. Well, OK, so like I guess the alien doesn't even have like lifeless eyes or evil eyes or little doll eyes or uh, it, it, it has no eyes. It doesn't see. We're not going to go into alien physiology in this episode, but yeah, it, it, they they have a. We're 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 kind of like walking around it too ourselves, Dave. I, I, we haven't talked about the scene. Um, we've talked about other stuff, but I, I think I think just in case no one has seen Alien, we're 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 gonna not spoil the scene, and we're gonna walk around that too. Um, but yeah, you've 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 got this uh, you've you've got this creature. That can walk around. It can. Uh, it 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 starts out as an egg, and mm-hmm. then the egg hatches later, and then it grows into a xeno. You know, it it goes from a little guy to a big guy, and then the other movies go more into like the uh, the life cycle of a xenomorph. But that's yeah. not what we're going to talk about here. Um, yeah. If you want to go to Xenomorph 101. Yeah. But 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 the thing is though is it grows and it grows fast and it sheds stuff and it grows and it sheds and it grows. So from the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie, you have this little snakey guy that then grows into this big huge um jet black monstrosity that bleeds acid and no. uh can climb on walls and ceilings and through air ducts and just all around your ship. Absolutely. And, and the fact that it takes place on a ship, mm-hmm. it, it, it's a huge ship. I think it's supposed to be like three stories, 700 feet, but it's yeah. still claustrophobic. Yes. Yeah, because you're still stuck inside and everything is as efficient as possible on a spaceship. You don't have like big rooms on 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 like 
essentially a, a semi truck. <laughs> exactly. It, 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 it's it, it's more like a cargo freighter than the Enterprise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it it as a child, my father was in the Navy, and uh, I got to go inside of these naval vessels, and yeah, it was it was it was really 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 tight quarters. And I've, uh, you know, even personally, I've, I've, I've been on schooners, uh, like a three-masted schooner. I did some uh, uh, summer programs when I was younger, and yeah, no, it, it, it's tight quarters just on ships because you have to carry everything with you. And you know, when you're on your spaceship, hey, you've got everything with you if you packed it, but you can't go anywhere else. You are literally in the vacuum of space and there's like no escape and literally because of the vacuum of space no one can hear you scream the tagline for aliens (laughs) but yeah no um what else do we have uh do do, do you know uh anything else about alien that you think we should be talking about well i think we i think we did a, a pretty good job of covering it other than we absolutely got to give credit to um uh giger oh yeah yeah hr giger geiger whichever you want to however Mm. you want to say his name uh hr geiger giger um german austrian i can't remember uh czechoslovakian polish i can't he's, he's from that part of the world and he he's he's passed, but uh, tremendous artwork. Um, he, was a, he was a big Lovecraftian. Yes, yes. Uh, even had a book called Necronomicon. Yes, he did. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I, I do want to go back to Dan O'Bannon for a moment, who uh, came up with the concept of this during the filming of the uh, John Carpenter student film Dark Star, where uh, a character, uh, I believe played by Dan O'Bannon, has a pet alien, which is a giant beach ball, and the way that they get rid of it is launching it out an airlock. Yes. And I I think that, in combination of possibly seeing Jaws, made some stuff uh, click in O'Bannon's brain. (laughs) <laughs> no, no. You can if you've seen Dark Star, you definitely see where parts of it have, you know, are in the DNA of the movie Alien. Oh yeah, uh, definitely just more money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, no. And thankfully, Alien has more money, or or we would be talking about a beach ball. <laughs> yeah, it looks like a tomato. All right. Well, everyone, thank you again for uh, listening to us jabber about uh, Lovecraft, Lovecraftiana, spookiness, science fiction, horror, fantasy, and all that fun stuff. Uh, If you are listening to this right now, there is the chance that you can fly to Portland, Oregon, and not miss the very tail end of Fan Expo 2023, Portland, Oregon. So uh, check us out. There is going to be a link in the show notes on where and when to find us. 
and I will be at booth 1133. Uh, so yeah, check us out. And thank you for listening. Go to the show links to find out how to support us. Go to pgttcm.com for all the show links. Uh, go to pgttcm on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, all the regular places. And yeah, check us out there. Uh, find out what's going on with the show, new episodes, any events we've got going on, any products we're trying to peddle. And that's it for now. Thank you again, everyone. Dave and I say goodbye. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. We'll see you next time. All right, that was a good episode. Yeah.